Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. The first 78 episodes of Fortune's Wheelhouse offer a card-by-card breakdown of occult correspondences and symbolism in the tarot. If you're a new listener, you may want to start there. In this season, we've been leveling up and examining each correspondence system on its own. First, we looked at the seven traditional planets in tarot, and then at the numbers one through ten in tarot. And with this set of episodes, we're doing a deep dive into each of the twelve signs of the zodiac in tarot. Remember, if you're diving in at random and one of us says something utterly opaque, we have lots of resources on our website to help with some of the more obscure esoteric doctrines that we deal in. That website is www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. There are also a couple of other places where you can check in with us online. You can visit Mel at tabulamundi.com and you can visit me at tsusanchang.com. You can also join over 650 smart, nice, and most importantly, like-minded friends at the Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy group on Facebook. As you know, each episode we have a giveaway. Last episode's prize was the Fortune's Wheelhouse mug, and our winner was Joanna, who, by the way, is the host of the Coffee and Divination podcast. So that seems insanely appropriate. Congratulations, Joanna. We hope the mug sees you through many thirsty future recordings of your show, which everybody should definitely check out. If you'd like your own Fortune's Wheelhouse mug that is easily arranged, just go to www.redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse93 slash shop. In this episode, we're talking about the sign of Leo in Esoteric Tarot, and Leo, of course, is ruled by the sun. So for our prize, I'll be offering our winner a zip pouch in the solar gold brocade fabric, which is a swirling paisley in champagne, russet, and rich buttery gold tones. If you want your own solar gold zip pouch or arcana case, and you don't want to trust to the random number generator lottery gods, you can purchase one at www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. As always, all Fortune's Wheelhouse patrons are automatically entered in the drawing. If you're not a patron and you would like to be, you can always sign up at www.patreon.com slash Fortune's Wheelhouse. And now, here's this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for our exploration of the fifth of our zodiacal episodes, Leo the Lion. Oh, and we're actually going to be both recording and releasing it in Leo season, I think, just barely. Is Wednesday is Wednesday still Leo season? I believe so, yeah. Summer's going by too quick. Right? It is going by too fast. Oh, oh, my God. I know. It's crazy. 
So we will be talking about the cards of Virgo, primarily the zodiacal major of Leo, which is the strength or lust card, the five, six, and seven of wands, the knight or prince of wands for court cards, as well as the shadow deck and falling in the knight of discs or king of pentacles. And then we can also uh, mention the associated planetary major, which is the sun, because the sun rules Leo, and the associated elemental major, which is the judgment or eon card being associated with elemental fire. The technical specs on the sign of Leo are it is a day or positive or male or young sign. It is its elemental triplicity is fire. It's, fixed fire. Yes, yes, its mode or quadruplicity is fixed. And the sun, of course, is its ruler. And also we have Saturn, the ruler of Aquarius, on the opposite end of the axis, being in detriment in Leo, which is, as we've observed before, pretty interesting because, you know, sun is the center of the universe and Saturn is sort of the demarcator of the outer limits of the traditional system. Why don't we talk a little bit about some of the just sort of general attributes of Leo? The the term Leo just means lion, and there's a word for lion in pretty much every ancient language, and they're all kind of cognate with that. He is, of course, the king of the beast. And I think that just has to do with the centrality of the sun, wouldn't you say? Yeah, for sure. The uh, the center of the universe. Um, and also, you know, the lion just symbolically is usually about physical strength. That's a quality of Leo, vitality and, and physical strength and vigor. I mean, I think that that is to some extent true of the fixed signs, but especially Leo because of that sort of heart-centered vital force enlivening the body. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. The Leo ruling the heart and the spine in the body. So the, the whole internal, you know, the, both the structure of the spine and the, the, like you said, the enlivening force of the heart that pumps the blood through the body, kundalini yeah. force of the spine as well. That actually, the kundalini force is interesting because it brings up that connection between the sort of spiraling serpent, you know, connections that always seem to go with the lion metaphors as well, those there's sort of like a uh, an intertwining of those um, two archetypes, the lion and the serpent, uh, throughout mm -hmm. the the sign of Leo. Yeah, and I think another a theme that we see is dominance, royalty being the center of attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely um, an element of egoism. You know, and a, a sort of like sense of, I don't mean this in a negative way, but entitlement to that attention, right? You know, it's why wouldn't I be the center of attention? You know, right, yeah, I'm great. Yeah. This is great. You're great. We're all great. But of course, I'm we're, in the we're center. We're all great, but you're my royal subjects. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a sense of, isn't it just obvious you know <laughs> because right. like the sun is always visible in the sky there isn't any like question 
there's always these themes with the sun of there being just one. You know, we don't live in a, on a planet with two suns. There's just one. <laughs> and your eye is always drawn to it. Yes. There's definitely an extroverted quality to most Leos that I've known. Yeah. And a, a comfort in the spotlight, a sense of pride and comfort in being seen. In yeah. Yeah. Visi- confidence. Um but, you know, they're also good. You know, everyone likes to say, oh, the Leos, you know, they're 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 vain. They're they're this, they're that. But um, they're really good at recognizing the good qualities of others as well as their own. There's a real generosity of spirit there. For sure. You know, the sense that there's plenty of light for everybody. It doesn't matter if I'm in the center <laughs> of it, you know, because yeah. there's plenty for everybody. And these themes of visibility are really important. Um, the sun was also associated with either the eyes or the right eye sometimes. You know, yep. sometimes it's the sun is the right eye, the moon is the left. Seeing and being seen are Super important. Yeah, and I think that's true. Leos are very good at being seen, but they're also good at at seeing others and what's valuable in them and and propping them up and making them feel good, too. Mm -hmm. The sun represents that confidence, that sense of vitality, the striving for the light, the spirit of you know, growth and, and excitement in all of us. And without that, none of us can thrive. You know, every plant needs the sun to thrive. Every yep. living creature does. And Source uh, of health and life. Right. Oh, and the motto, we didn't mention the astrological motto of Leo, which is I will. I will, which of course ties back to the elemental fire connection of Leo. Yeah, the whole idea of will emanating from this this central fiery force. Yeah, interesting. The, the, kind of the creative urge of Leo. That, that's interesting because it kind of connects back to this idea of all-powerful agency. You know, thy will be done. Whatever mm. it is I want to have done is going to get done. Yeah. And I have both the inclination to do it and the means. So, um, yeah, one thing that I've often thought about sort of the relationship of the fire signs and the fire cards, cards of wands to the judgment or eon card, which corresponds to elemental fire, is that judgment or eon asks you to connect with your personal legend, you know, what your legacy is, what your greatness is, your kleos the Greeks would call it. What is it that makes you shine? I think the cards of Leo and the archetype of Leo is the heart of that. It's sort of like, when you shine, how do you shine? What is your strength? What is it that you're going to bring up on Judgment Day or in the birth of the new self? What is your great gift to the world, I guess? Yeah, something about the Judgment or Aeon card is also, to me, about big picture stuff. So, you know, what is larger than you that can come through you? Oh, for sure. Larger than life. That's a great keyword for the sign. And I almost think of that when I think of the lion's mane, which is almost like a halo. It's like an aura or a radiance around the figure of the beast. Mm. You know, there's a, a glow. And they all have great hair, Leos. Yeah, I know. What is up with that? Healthy follicles, I, in my next man. Life, I want to be a Leo, okay? <laughs> yeah, they do have amazing hair. Let's see, so maybe we can talk a little bit about the strength or lust card first. We've mentioned in the past, I think, that there's kind of 
a couple different sides to that card, both the physical fortitude that we've talked about, but also a kind of a moral fortitude, uh, the ability to harness that strength and use it in a judicious way. Yeah, the red lion of alchemy symbolism really comes up a lot because it's about the control and harnessing of the primal forces, the animalistic forces of man, you know, to, to be able to, to harness and use them yeah. rather than being used by them. Waite says of the strength card, he he calls it the strength which resides in contemplation. Fortitude is the ability to confront fear and uncertainty. You know, we've talked about how courage is not the absence of fear, but the willingness to stand up to fear even when you feel it. And I think that that's something that we can kind of see in the card, you know, the idea that the person who has mastered themselves has mastered their fear as well. <laughs> I keep thinking of the cowardly line. When I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps popping up in my, in my mind. Yeah, yeah, what a great archetype. I also think of the, you know, the traditional attitude of the of the animal the lion the king of the beasts you know when he's just kind of sitting there basking in the sun you know yes. <laughs> doing fuck all <laughs> especially especially the male lions yeah the male lions the male lion just lays back and let the let's the the female lions are the hunters you know the huntresses i should say yeah and yeah. The, the males just kick back and you know <laughs> luxuriate in their glory <laughs> they do and it's like their job is a warrior's job when it comes up, you know, I mean, they don't, they don't have a ton of job generally, but when it comes up, their job is to be courageous, is to defend the pack. Yeah, that is a quality of, of Leo too. They are good defenders of the weak, you know, they will mm -hmm. stick up mm -hmm. for people that they see as needing it and needing help. They're, they're very protective. You know, when I think about lions in general, I try to break down the strength or lust card into its three components, you know, and I think of the ferocity and the willingness to go to battle as being very much a Leo one, you know, first decan of Leo kind of thing. And that sort of golden mane and residing in the sun and lolling and basking as a six of wands, you know, Leo two kind mm. of thing. And then, I don't know, I think of the seven of wands as, you know, the, the more lion. More battling. Yeah, more battling. More battling the lion well, under it's siege. interesting because if you look at the Deccan rulers of those three Deccans, you know, yeah. that central one is Jupiter. There's the king just lolling around basking in his glory and mm -hmm. surrounded on either side by the two malefics, Mars exactly. and Saturn. <laughs> it's true. It's funny. I was thinking about that, the way that there's always sort of a parallel between the five and the seven, what it takes to defend the six to make the six happen. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about that in the five and seven of uh, pentacles as well. It, like, if you think about what the what Saturn does in the seven of pentacles versus the five of wands, in both, there's a sense of confinement in both cards. But, you know, the Saturn aspects in Leo are the sort of frustration and compression and pressure of a planet in detriment. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's just about to explode. We should maybe talk a little bit more about the lust card, too, because it's a slightly different flavor from the strength card in terms of it being that the lust for life, the you know, what you were calling the raw vitality before. The joy and, of strength exercised. As yeah. 
Yeah, and he has that wonderful phrase, aflame with love and death. Yes, which, exactly. Which sounds dark in a way, but which kind of emphasizes the idea that Leo is a sign that is very conscious of the mortal lifetime. You know, how how you get one chance, <laughs> you get one shot. Yeah, and... they're definitely living it up while they're here. <laughs> exactly. And one of the things that Curly says about Lest, I think, is... You know, he describes the Babylon figure as the moon fully illuminated by the sun. And that's a a tree of life reference, I guess, in the sense that, you know, the moon is the path of Gimel and the path of the lust card is that perpendicular path between Chesed and Givora. So there's the moon sort of penetrating that path on the middle pillar. And then there's the light of Tifereth, which corresponds to the sun, meeting that path of the moon. So he talks about the moon being fully illuminated by the sun, maximum visibility, maximum light. It's it's also interesting just that Leo sign ruled by the sun follows Cancer, the sign ruled by the moon. So we have that transition from lunar light to the solar light. Yes, that's true. That whole transition, too, is interesting in terms of like we've been talking about kind of like as the fool's journey through the sign kind of thing. So I guess I think in Cancer we called it the fool discovering the tribe and a kind of tribal consciousness, family Mm -hmm. and tribe, whereas in Leo, now that there's a tribe, there's a need for leadership and also entertainment and play because that's a a quality of the sign Leo is, is, you know, playfulness as well as pride. In leadership. Yeah. Plus, they're both hungry. <laughs> I was just uh, <laughs> uh, listening to the Astrology podcast on those two signs and how, you know, uh, both like to be fed. I mean, partly because, you know, fire consumes fuel. Yeah, there is a there is a need for something. And definitely in cancer, there is kind of an emotional neediness. And then mm-hmm. in Leo, it's it's an emotional neediness, too, but in a in a different way. It's more like, right need for attention or validation occasionally to make sure that they are fed in that way. You know, my my light will dim if I run out of fuel. <laughs> we can't right. have that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about the Kabbalah of that path, I think, is that Kesed and Givura, uh, Mercy and Severity, the, the, the Sephira that give the pillars their names, they are you know, considered the arms of God, one that sort of gives and one that restrains. There has to be a balance between them to get the maximum benefit. Um, the other interesting thing about that path is, um, we might as well just go right into yeah, the Yeah, let's go for it. Here we are. Um, <laughs> is that it's the, almost the exact middle of the tree. So it's the, of the three horizontal paths, it's the middle one. And it's, mm-hmm. so it's between the path of uh, the Empress, love, and uh, the Tower, war. In yeah. between them, you have uh, lust. So the other thing that's interesting about that path is it's the highest path that does not have a connection to the supernals, which is kind of interesting. Right. So it right. is that's a sort true. of it's it's a mm-hmm. sort of gateway like the Empress card. You know, it's mm-hmm. a transitional point about crossing. You know, over the abyss. So it it brings in that flavor of um, Bina in a sense with the um, the Babylon figure. For sure, I think that's absolutely right, and it's also associated with the letter Tet, the serpent or snake, which is looks like a snake actually. Um, but uh, what uh, what also is interesting about that 
card is that it's considered to be kind of double in nature, an instrument of both good and evil. It can be both the the sort of serpent side of it in terms of orthodox belief is you know the the dominance of the ego the serpent sort of autonomously taking for itself whereas you can also look at that figure as a person who is submitting to the divine a person in prayer and the one of the stories that goes with the letter tet is the story of the staff of moses which was a magical wand, essentially, uh, his staff or rod. And one of the miracles he was able to perform with it is, you know, when he was confronting Pharaoh. Exactly. He threw it on the ground and God turned it into uh, a snake. Yeah, I was thinking of Prince of Egypt, the Disney movie. (laughs) Yeah, same idea. What happens in that part of the myth, I guess, is that he casts it on the ground, it turns into a serpent, and Pharaoh's magicians also sort of set serpents to attack him, but his serpent it, is his bigger serpent and eats, eats them his... all. <laughs> My serpent's bigger than your serpent. <laughs> oh, man. But that, but also, you know, there's another part of the Moses myth where he's supposed to speak to a rock to give water to his people when they're like parched in the desert. And he's frustrated and angry. And instead, he taps on the rock with his stick to, to do the work. And that is considered a, an act of great hubris of him sort of saying, well, I'm the magician and this is my staff and I'm going to make this happen. So, you know, it's these kind of questions of, you know, you have these great powers, but whom are you serving? You know, are you serving the greater good or are you serving yourself? And that's always a question with Leo, I think, because they do occupy that central position. Mm. It's, it's interesting that this path is so central to the tree and, you know, and its ruler is also central to the tree. There is that feeling with Leo of being in the middle of everything, shining light on everything. Mm. Um, themes of the heart, themes of being the most important and the most <laughs> and the most prominent. The lead role. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. In terms of the the visibility and being central in the tree like that, you know, that, that theme of the eye, I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to correspondences, but there's that line that we see in the Orphic hymn about the eye. You know, there's a couple of different lines. One is... The one Eudie. for the sun, the cosmic eye. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Being the eye. And it's like the one that gives light to the cosmos, uh, the one that's ever um, circling the world. So, you know, you would swear on the eye of the sun because you will never be able to get all, away yeah. with it if you, yeah, if you, if you violated that oath. And the other one is sort of later on, there's another reference to eyes. I don't know if it's translated as judicious or righteous, oma dikaiosines. And again, that, that idea that the, the sun is honorable. You know, the sun is noble. The sun is honorable. The sun keeps you truthful to your word. Mm. Okay. Well, I think that's uh, true of Leo's. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're like that. They are um, definitely honorable in uh, in their in their actions. Usually, yeah, yeah. They're a, loyal. You know, they they have a great deal of loyalty. I think to their friends and mm-hmm. their families. It's very important to them. They're loyal and royal, <laughs> and yeah. there's something about that that just stems from their 
super eminence. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, it makes you think of like, if you are a a lowly person or a, you know, a messenger for the king, it's the king's insignia that protects you, right? It's the, even just referring to the king or, mm. you know, showing that you have some connection to the king is a form of protection because the it's implied that he has a promise to see you and watch over you. I, I saw something funny, speaking of loyalty as a quality of Leo's, in Linda Goodman's book when she was talking about like leos in relationships you know romantic relationships she said they're actually you know in spite of being really romantic people Mm -hmm. and passionate people they're they usually can be trusted to be you know have fidelity to their Mm -hmm. partners but she she said uh, something like there was a funny saying she brought up she said Here's to me and here's to you and here's to love and laughter. I'll be true as long as you, but not a minute after. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I thought that was a good Yeah. Good for- <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the Deccans a bit, I guess. Strife, the- victory, yeah. and valor. The strife and valor it takes to maintain victory. <laughs> the five of wands kind of touched on it a little bit before the idea that it's the the uh the the pressure of saturn a planet in detriment ruling the face and i call this one the well you call it the pressure cooker i call it the cosmic instant pot (laughs) but yeah there's that sense of enormous heat and pressure being contained just Mm -hmm. barely contained in the vessel yeah the five you know Gaborah being ruled by Mars, and then Saturn capping it off. Yeah, yeah. As ruler of the Deccan. Right, and this is... And Leo the Sun, so that's fire and fire, but topped off by Saturn. There's a sense of competition in here, for sure. Um, It makes me think of all of Saturn's children uh, being swallowed in his belly and you know, no place to go. Yeah. <laughs> or Cronus's children, I guess, uh, until until the one true hero, Zeus, uh, releases yeah. Jupiter in the next card. Jupiter in the next card, exactly. That Saturn to Jupiter myth really comes out in there. But there's also like in the, in the commentary on the Deccans from Picatrix and I think also in Agrippa, there's a boldness and violence and prolonged labor so Mm. this is where people are really sweating it out the the imagery in one of them is a man riding a lion you know obviously another one where uh they're looking to the north which is an interesting reference because of course this is a time of year when the sun is very far to the north you know regardless of whether you're in the northern or southern hemisphere right that's the direction of winter which brings in saturn Yeah, but just this idea that, you know, you're looking towards that, you know, there's always an anticipatory quality in the five, I think. Uh, And in this case, a very combative quality as well. And then, of course, we've got the the six where it's really... Naked swords. Naked swords. (laughs) (laughs) The ascension of a man who is ignorant and base. Man, that always hurts, doesn't it, when you hear that? (laughs) Yeah, and naked swords and beauty and writing, I think. There's something just really out there about <laughs> that description. <laughs> yeah. The uh, title of the lust card 
the daughter of the flaming sword, you know, it does bring to mind both the, um, you know, the position on the tree of life being on the path of the flaming sword, but mm-hmm. also um, that whole war and naked swords thing that keeps oh, coming yeah. up, that Deccan imagery. But it's also, you know, it's Jupiter in that second Deccan of Leo. So when we think of Jupiter in the Wheel of Fortune, I always think of this card being whatever's at the top of the wheel with the crown on its head, you know? Yep. The the moment if there's, yes. uh, I, I have ruled, I will rule, I am ruling, this is the I right. am ruling moment. Yeah, the moment of appreciation and applause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's not traditionally a super peaceful Deccan. <laughs> it's it's definitely uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, right? Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah, it's a fleeting moment, but something to enjoy while you're there. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's the moment in the public eye. But then by the time you get to the Seven of Wands, you are having to fight to keep your place, you know, with all your might. We see that in really both versions of the cards, both in Thoth and in Rider Waite Smith, I think Crowley says, it's the army thrown into disorder. You know, whereas Mm. you have all of those sort of orderly steady flames in the Six of Wands, you have things have gotten a bit hairy in the Seven of Wands, and you need kind of the brute force of that central club in the front. Victory through individual uh, valor, I think, or something like that, he says. Mm There's a falling back on the strengths of the self and rising to the occasion. Yeah. And one thing that I I never really got about, and maybe you have an idea about this, but about, you know, in Picatrix and Agrippa in that third deck, and that's the one with love and food trays and health. (laughs) Yeah, that is strange. But you have to remember that sevens do have some association with Venus. So there's that. Yeah, there's that. I mean, maybe it's like sort of the the debauched king. It even mentions the copper jug and something like... um, It does. Maybe that's the, the Venus aspect of seven. Yeah, and with fruit and meat in their mouth. I always think of, you know, the scene in The Lord of the Rings where Denethor is like slobbering over his food. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it has to do with the excesses of an empire in decline, you know, um, Mm -hmm. something like that. That kind of makes sense, too, with the Agrippa image uh, says a, a, a young man with a whip and then an old looking at a sad old man. And it's kind of like, you know, the Mm -hmm. the whole King mythology, you know, the old King getting taken over by the young King. Yeah. When I look at the uh, seven of wands imagery in Rider Waite Smith, I (laughs) I always think five, six pick up sticks (laughs) standing there and like all the sticks are uh, disarrayed before him. It's time to pick them up. I think taken together, they really tell a story, the five, six and seven of wands of how, how exalted it is to be in power and how hard it is to hold on to it. Mm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. There, there's a, uh, there's a spell that you can do with Leo rising that Agrippa gives. And the image is a King crowned, obviously sitting in a chair. Makes a ra- sense. It's good yeah. to be the King. <laughs> it's good to be the King, a Raven in his bosom. I don't know about that. I don't <laughs> know if that's a Saturn thing under yeah, his feet, sure. under his feet, a globe. And he's wearing saffron colored and uh, saffron colored clothes. And it is supposed to help render you invincible, honorable, bringing businesses to a good end and uh, a ward against fevers and plague. 
Yeah. Look at all he said. One thing that I've been kind of thinking about with the Leo elections this month, having the sun in the first house with Leo rising, is, you know, the idea that it's it's not very specific what it's good for, right? You know, when you have a sun election, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's sort of just generally good for publicity and exposure and being seen. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, make sure whatever it is you're doing is something you want people to want see. To be seen, right? <laughs> <laughs> but also the idea of purpose. And this is actually something I, I, I want to talk about a little bit when we talk about the Mercury relationship in, in the Virgo cards, that the sun gives other others purpose, a reason to drive forward. And you can use it as a self-empowering inspiration as well. All of the planets reflect the light of the sun. When we look, I remember to do the court cards this time in the right place. <laughs> um, when we look at the the Prince of Wands or Knight of Wands, we, we, we see that sort of like desire to be seen. You know? Oh, for sure. <laughs> I like... always see him bursting out like through a hoop of fire. Look Here at I me. Like, yes. Evil Knievel or something. <laughs> Not subtle. <laughs> Look and at me. A... We talked about how the Four of Cups, which is the Shadow Deccan, is like that full moon moment, uh, maximum illumination of the moon, which is followed by, you know, the bursting into center stage of the sun. Well, the five of wands and six of wands. And this is a figure that really does well in those competitive situations where like it's an audition or where you have to be the best of, <laughs> of a number of, of selections and your, your, your preeminence has to be obvious. So a sense of healthy competitiveness in, in the prince of wands and in his central Deccan, which is the strife card, you know, a, a willingness to give it his best shot and and, and a real wing, willingness to be recognized for that, too. <laughs> King of Pentacles or Knight of Discs holding the seven of wands as his shadow Deccan. You know, if you think about that shadow Deccan is like the threat to your resources versus the eight of nine, the careful accumulation of everything so that everybody can survive. Mm. I don't know. There's something in there about being in service, being very uncomfortable when you have to fight to defend yeah. your stuff and being when you are roused. <laughs> right, right. And it's almost like, you know, and as a Virgo, I can really relate to this, the idea that I would much rather be way over prepared so this doesn't happen, you know, mm-hmm. which is a very much an eight and nine of discs kind of thing. I don't know. I think of that King of Pentacles as... You know, as as the great harvester, the great provider, the great agricultural boss, but he's a farmer, not a fighter, you know, and it's sort of like it's because he doesn't want to have to fight that he farms. <laughs> right. So uh, shall we talk about the Nemean lion? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Hercules first labor uh, it kind of ties into the older, you know, mm hmm strength cards where it showed a, a male figure wrestling a lion yeah actually hercules in those uh one jj yeah. swiss i think tarot de besançon mm-hmm. that is him a real testament to physical fortitude because that's exactly what heracles or hercules was was known for it's interesting we also talked about concepts of glory cleos which is right there in the name of heracles the glory of hera 
I always think it's funny that it was called the glory of Hera because it was Hera who, of course, made his life so difficult. Yeah. And she's kind of like the strife card, you know? How are you going to show you're the best unless you do something that's really hard? (laughs) Yep. The, yeah. the Nemean lion thing, Nemean mm-hmm. lion. One thing I read about the Nemean lion that kind of ties into this card as well is that it it was said to live on the moon and then it came to Earth as a shooting star. So that again brings in that whole moon and sun terminology. You know, cool. the, the the shooting star is like a a, a falling sun and the uh, living on the moon coming from the moon thing. Yeah, from Cancer. Yeah. Yeah, yep. that's really interesting. I didn't know that part of the myth. The yep. um, the 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 lion was said to, its hide was said to be impervious to all weapons, right? Know? And so that was his first Hercules' first or Heracles' first labor, and then he skinned the lion probably with its claws claw with its because own claws, nothing yeah. could nothing else could penetrate it, and then he used it as armor. Uh, he wore it after that. That's for right. The, Next 11 labors. <laughs> because why wouldn't you? And he also, the way he finally conquered the Nemean lion is interesting. Because he couldn't kill it with any weapons, he lifted it by the foot and then broke its spine, which, you know, spine of Leo. Yeah. 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 And it also says something about the sort of, I don't know, purity, the naked sword thing, the you know, the sort of like the fact that Leo is... Not strong because it's armed, but strong just inherently by its own mm-hmm. virtue. Mm-hmm. I often think about the myth of Gilgamesh as well, because the 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 monster Humbaba was said to be kind of a lion serpent figure, mm. uh, lion head, serpent tail, something like that. Again, that was was another legend making feat to defeat mm-hmm. that creature. And the other thing I always think about with this archetype and the constellation of Leo is Regulus. Of course. Of course. I read something interesting about Regulus that I didn't know until recently was that it's actually three suns that yeah. look like one from no our way. vantage point. Oh, that's oh, interesting. interesting. So it's like a triple sun. <laughs> yeah. So Regulus, of course, means the little king. That is also known as Cor Leonis, the heart of the lion. The heart of the lion, the kingmaker. Um, the watcher, the watcher of the watcher. north. Mm-hmm. Of the north, exactly. I guess, you know, I don't know a lot about the fixed stars, but about this one, it does confer great attention, great Glory. elevation. Exactly. It's a bit fundamentally amoral. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a great person. I think they all are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, our our current president has... Regulus conjunct the ascendant, which explains a ton. But the other thing about Regulus, isn't that the one where it's incredibly fortunate for the subject unless they take vengeance? Unless they, yes, unless they go about getting revenge, even if revenge is justified, if they take revenge, they will be taken down. Right. So that's interesting. That's interesting, too. It's sort of like the counter part of the generosity of spirit, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. The nemesis of generosity. Yeah, I mean, the very much the the vice of Leo, if there is a vice, is, you know, pride. is pride or, or self-centeredness. And if you fail to recognize that the magnanimous light shining through you is not generated by you, <laughs> then, yes. you know, and that it's only borrowed, really, 
uh, then your downfall is imminent. Mm-hmm. Another cool star, uh, fixed star, I didn't have time to look up kind of what it was associated with, but um, the beta star of the Leo constellation, Denebola, or Denebola. Oh, yeah. I don't know yeah. where the accent is, but uh, Denebola. Also called uh, Deneb al Assad in the Arabic mm-hmm. term, which means lion's tail or the tail of the lion. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, it's really cool. The, the thing about the, the constellation of Leo is it's one of the ones, one of the few that actually looks exactly <laughs> yeah, like what it's supposed to be. You can always you know? find it. <laughs> it's so obvious. It looks just like, a, you know, a hieroglyph of a lion, pretty much. It pretty much does. And Regulus really does look like it's where the heart would be. Yeah. Yeah, I read another thing interesting about the constellation Leo is that at one time it was considered to be, you know, much bigger than it was and it is and it stretched um you know further like it, it had on one end it had part of um the uh Coma Berenices or Berenice, mm-hmm. Berenice's veil mm-hmm. on one end and then on the other end it took up part of Cancer it had that uh, M44 beehive cluster as the like whiskers and nose of the lion so at one time it was like really huge (laughs) that's interesting yeah yeah and now virgo is enormous (laughs) yeah right yeah um shall we talk about correspondences some oh you know one one that's kind of relevant to uh what we were just talking about is the geomantic uh correspondence of fortuna minor fortuna major um Mm -hmm. Two, just like we had with Cancer, Via, and Populus. Um, two and, with the sun, two with the moon. Yep. Yeah, and this is—it's interesting that Fortuna Minor is, you know, is those the sort of outside assistance that the native gets from the vicissitudes of fortune. You know, the 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 wheel of fortune spinning you up to the top. But the Fortuna Major one is an internal power, um, mm. an inner strength, and. It reminds me of this sort of inherent power of Leo that we keep seeing, this idea that without any sort of extra help, you would still shine. Mm. But um, the the forms of those two geomantic figures are kind of like, I don't know, like a dowsing rod. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like there's two dot, two dot, one dot, one dot kind of a thing, and then vice versa. Fortuna Major is actually sort of compared to a river valley which is an interesting metaphor for that idea of inner strength. Um, we talked about the body, the anatomical correspondences of the heart and the spine. Oh, and I also saw a reference to the, the noble organs. This is a Picatrix thing. The noble organs, the heart, the thin ribs, and the back, they said. So mm, I, I, I can see that. Yeah. Picatrix also says that easily defended and strong places like king's cities and castles, holy places, bitter tastes, which is something you see associated with the sun a lot, bitterness. In uh, uh, you- seven 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 under uh, vegetable drugs, mm-hmm. it lists for Leo carminatives and tonics. Which, oh, um, yeah. So right. tonics obviously makes sense for the the whole health and you know of sun life. Tonics are things that just strengthen the body. But carminatives is kind of funny because it's <laughs> what you what you take when you're gassy. <laughs> that is funny. You can just picture the king after all his indulgences yes. needing a carminative. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's hilarious. The uh, he also says uh, olibanum, 
or frankincense. You know, a lot of people say they're different. I can't get to the heart of that. I think they're the same thing, mm. just different names. Yeah. Uh, in spirit, where I work, sometimes they have, you know, separate uh, resins of olibanum and frankincense. So there must be some convention where we separate them in some way. I don't know. All citruses, which is interesting because it's got like the sweetness and acidity that you associate with solar um, solar correspondences, but also the bitterness if you get to the pit. Mm. And the it's a round orange ball. Round orange <laughs> ball, yes. <laughs> Sunflowers. Course. Yep, chamomile. Oh yeah, chamomile, Ibrite, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That those those uh, associations with visions. I, my uh, Randy and I went to get some ice cream the other day by a field of sunflowers, and they're mature now. So if you go past by a field of sunflower, uh, all of them are facing to the east, are sort That's of stuck awesome. in place yeah. now. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. The bay, the palm, you know, all of those plants used for making wreaths of recognition that you put on heroes' heads. Uh, yep. The cyclamen. Marigold, laurel, yep, the mm. bay laurel, yep. Mm-hmm. Olive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've heard also rosemary and saffron. I've heard that too. Saffron Because they sure. both have yeah. um, solar, you know, they're solar. Yeah. Anise and fennel as the carminatives. <laughs> <laughs> for stones, we have, well, for metal, we have gold, of course. And then Plus we've got... Rubies, all red stones, which is interesting. Cat's eye. Yeah, cat's eye and jasper. I think red stones because of, you know, the blood, the heart, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Diamond, just because it's the best and the hardest. I think a diamond is Aries myself, but yeah, I can yeah. see that. Onyx, I saw, which is not what you would expect. Um, but, you know, that but seems, then. That seems like Saturn. Yeah, and Sardonyx, which is the August birthstone uh, in some versions, you know, Peridot's the other. But, you know, that is a uh, an onyx that has layers of sard, which is that red stone, which seems to make sense. Um, animals are long-toothed, raptors, lions, of course, serpents, of course. Which brings up, by the way, the magical powers of training wild beasts or taming wild beasts. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And the magical weapon of... The discipline. Yeah, which kind of brings to mind that idea of, you know, self-regulation. Yeah. Yes. Oh, colors. We haven't done colors. Greenish yellow as the king scale color. Um, Deep purple as the queen scale color. Very royal. Uh, gray as the prince scale color, and probably what I think of most mm-hmm. as feeling very leonine is reddish amber. Yeah, for sure. As the princess scale color. And it's funny because with that king scale color, it's yellow, parentheses, greenish, and then in the next, for Virgo Hermit, um, green, it's going to be green, <laughs> yellowish. Yeah, they kind of pass through around. the spectrum. That's interesting because it kind of shows you're at the the turning point of the season there. Um, yeah, that yellow greenish is a, is a funny one because, you know, I mean, I, I think there's a, a long association with the sun as yellow, but there's also some, I've seen it correspond to green as well. You know, the color of life. Yeah. I've, you know, I think somewhere Crowley says something about how some gold has a greenish tint to it or something like that. Hmm. The purest, I think he said something like the purest gold has a greenish tint to it. Yeah, I mean, I think it just maybe just has to do with green as being the the sign growth of thriving and, growth. Yeah, yep. life, liberty, the four L's. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. 
All righty. Um, I think I think that's about it. Yeah. Shall we just throw out some themes and keywords? The center of attention. The spotlight. The majesty. Cleos or glory. Loyalty. Pride. Yeah, heart centeredness. Visibility. Consumption of fuel. <laughs> uh, oh, the strong and hopefully healthy ego. The eye. The creative urge. The public eye. The crown. Strength and steadiness. Fortitude. All right. Okay. Well, I guess we can call that done. Okay. You mentioned the uh, you mentioned the cowardly lion. Oh yeah. Another another uh, really great Leo archetype in in. Stories is the Queen of Hearts. Off with their head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But she never takes off anyone's head, you know. <laughs> right. The impulse to dominate. <laughs> and another um, Leo kind of caricature is Mae West. Oh, for sure. An actual yeah. Leo. <laughs> she she just reveled in that, too. Yes. Yeah, there's, a, there's something there about, you know, enjoying being your own cartoon. <laughs> yes, exactly. L- larger than life. Alrighty. Thanks everybody for diving into the heart of the sun with us. And we will be back <laughs> next time with Virgo. See you then. And that's our show for today. You can find us at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, where you'll also find new episode announcements and loads of extra articles and visuals, which will help you follow along with the show. If you appreciate what Mel and I have done here at fortunes wheelhouse, please consider leaving us a five-star reviewer rating on iTunes, Apple podcasts, or Google play. And if you'd like to support the making of this podcast and gain access to all the member perks that come with that, please consider becoming a patron at any level you like by visiting www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. You can also explore fortunes wheelhouse gear like t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, and more by checking out our red bubble shop. That's at www.redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop. Mel's beautiful books, decks, and prints can be found at tarotcart.com. And my book, Tarot Cases, Astrological Perfumes, and Online Tarot Class can be found at tsusanchang.com. Treat yourself to the tarot gift you've always wanted, because you are a hero of the astral plane, and we so appreciate your support. <laughs>